Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of Legends of the Batman. My name is Michael Bradley. And I'm Michael Kaiser. In this episode, we will be looking at all Batman material from June 1940, which is just one comic book again, Detective Comics number 41. So we're getting a bit of a reprieve after a couple yeah. issue or story-heavy uh, episodes. episodes. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Exactly. Uh, but before we get into that, um, I actually, and I don't have this in my notes, so I'm sorry for springing this on you, but I actually have a comic recommendation that I want to talk about real quick. Okay. Um, last episode, when we were talking about other books that were out, we talked about All American Comics number 16, which was the first appearance of Alan Scott, the Green uh-huh. Lantern. Right. And it just so happens that this week I read All New Batman, The Brave and the Bold number 7, which has a guest appearance by Alan Scott. Mm-hmm. And as we mentioned in like modern continuity, Alan Scott was Gotham City's hero prior to Batman, and it's the same here. And this story is set about a decade after Green Lantern retired and just a few weeks after Batman debuted. And one thing I liked about it is that Batman's costume in the story was just like the one he had in the early stories that we looked at. I mean, he was wearing the gloves that only went to, like, his wrist, and the cowl had the big ears, and the, and the front of it just came to a point rather than being defined over his cheekbones. And, and what year did this uh, book come out? It just came out this year, like a month ago. Oh, really? That new? Yeah. Okay. Oh, cool. But it's set in like the early part of Batman's career. The the narration said he'd only been around for a couple weeks. Awesome. So, but even his attitude is darker and more violent than you know what we normally see in a in the Brave and the Bold cartoon. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that's a plot point to the story. But I thought it was pretty neat, and it even had a scene with Alan using his original oath. Rather oh. than the uh, In Brightest Day and Blackest Night oath that he picked up in the mid-40s. So yeah. I thought that was kind of nice, too. Now, is he, is he creating, like, the typical shapes with his ring? Or is he doing, I think, because, like, the old school Golden Age, didn't he just shoot it, like, as a laser, kind of? And Yeah, that's pretty much what he's doing here, just kind of shining cool. a light. That's I'm awesome. Do it right now, and I don't see any constructs at all. Good. Yeah, he makes a pair of handcuffs and a shield at one point and a giant fist. Hmm. But pretty much he's just kind of shooting it like a laser beam. That sounds good. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I recommend it. It was uh, written by Sholly Fish with art by Rick Brochette and Dan Davis. And it doesn't really read like a Golden Age story. I mean, it reads like a story written today, but it's certainly set in that time period. And like I said, they give a big tip of the hat to the Golden Age Batman. So Plus, it's yeah. always nice. It's nice seeing the Golden Age heroes and the... Justice Society getting some love. I mean, especially now that DC will be, quote unquote, resting them come September. So, yeah, yeah, the Brave and the Bold does pretty good at, at, at least the comic, the cartoon does at tipping its hat to things that have happened in the past. Whether right, whether you think they're a good idea or not, I think they, <laughs> they, they seem to appreciate it one way or the other. So, right, it's nice to know that the comic apparently does that too. Yeah, it has the same kind of spirit as the cartoon show. Um, so, and by the way, happy 4th of July, everybody. I'm sorry. My neighbors are going to probably from time to time celebrate a little bit early. One just went off right now and nothing I can really do about it. So just, I guess, enjoy the, the free firework noise. Of course, it'll be after the 4th of July by the time they hear this. So True. True. We're recording, um, two days before. So, but it's been, they've been doing it all week. <laughs> <laughs> kind of how it is here too. Yeah. So we've also got some emails to read. All right. Um, the first one is from Charles Nally, 
And he writes, uh, Hello, Michaels. I have been listening to your podcast since day one and eagerly anticipate each new episode. I just wanted to make a comment on your discussion during episode seven that the two of you had on Batman's origin and motivation. The discussion was whether the killer of Bruce Wayne's parents being brought to justice was the end of Batman's motivation and whether or not you liked it. Well, in case you were wondering, here's my vote. I would like it if the identity of the murderer of the Waynes was never known. To me, if Batman knows who somebody is, there is no way for him to escape the Batman. I mean, if Batman knows the murderer is Joe Chill, he will find Joe Chill. Period. I believe that if it was just a senseless, unsolvable crime, it would make the whole existence of Batman better. He is trying to prevent similar crimes from happening. Anyway, that's just my opinion. By the way, I believe it was Kaiser who stated in episode 11 that most of our listeners like Superman better anyway. Just wanted to share that I do not. Batman is far superior. Yes. Thanks, and keep up the good work. Awesome. Thanks, Charles. Uh, yeah, I kind of, um, I think I already said on episode seven, I can't remember now, but um, I I don't think that he would quit being Batman just because he, you know, gets Joe Chill. I think that um, that's not really what Batman's about, you know, just the revenge part of it. Um, at the right. same time, I kind of agree with him that it's really cool when it's just a, a random thing that happens and you and it never goes past that either i mean it's nice to not i could see it being cool not to know who joe chill is and and that never being solved because you know this random act of violence destroyed this kid's life and exactly he wants to stop other people from doing that so the next email we got is from alex mcconnell and he writes hello hello to the fine people named michael I've been following your show since about episode three or so and was very grateful to have found it. Like so many of us, I discovered the podcast via the massively excellent From Crisis to Crisis. I'm a humongous Superman fan. Oh, see, there we go again. Um, He's my guy. But when I was tiny, it was all about the Batman. Thus, this show tends to make me sentimental. It only seems right that we get some Batman coverage as well as all the Superman podcasting that's been invading the internet. Uh, I'm very pleased with the quality of each of your episodes, but I remember thinking when listening to episode one that you guys were crazy to do this without a Batmanologist on the show. Um, but it wouldn't be fun without the Batman equip that it wouldn't be fun without the Batman equivalent to Michael Bailey on From Crisis to Crisis, whose Superman knowledge seems to be bottomless. I'm quite glad to find that a know-it-all isn't a requirement for this kind of show, but such an individual might still be fun to have as a guest host every now and again if either of you can find one. Maybe for historical first or something. Just something to think on, maybe. Anyway, looking forward to more totally awesome adventures with this totally awesome podcast, Alex. Hopefully Alex enjoyed episode, what was it, 14? Where we yeah. had the mm-hmm. John and Donovan and Josh on. Yep. So our next email is from... Speaking of which, our next email is from Donovan Grant, and he writes, uh, Hey, Mike and Mike, been meaning to get in touch with you guys for months now, and though you've already been gracious enough to have me, John, and Josh on to celebrate the beginning of Batman's eponymous title, this is just a fan email coming in far too late. You guys have been doing a solid job on covering the Golden Age era of the Dark Knight, and the idea of you two guys who aren't hardcore bat freaks delving into the bat issues from a different perspective is certainly a novel one for podcasting. I really loved your coverage of both Batman's origin and the first appearance of Dick Grayson. Like Bradley, I too prefer the Wayne's killer to be a random thug who never gets captured. Not so much for the idea that Batman has to devote his entire crime-fighting idea to look for the guy, 
rather than it makes all the more random, tragic, and mythological in my perspective. As a side note, I like how the 89 Batman movie had his origin near the start of the third act, so to make Batman all the more mysterious. While having the Joker kill his parents is blasphemous to me, if that aspect were removed, then I feel that scene perfectly captures the horror of the act Finger and Kane set up all those years ago. What do you guys think? Where Dick Grayson is concerned, I have always loved the idea of Robin amidst the barbs and scorn of many a Batman fan, with the charges that a kid with Batman is too creepy, illogical, and distracts from his dark demeanor. I think the opposite. Like you gentlemen have mentioned, there is an intrinsic bond between the two in how their parents' murderer has shaped their lives. For a character like Bruce Wayne, I think adopting and training Dick Grayson is 100% in line with the type of person he is. Whenever the story is adapted and Batman refuses to take Dick as a partner, I find it's against the canon and against the character because why else would Batman adopt him? Not to suggest that Batman did it for selfish reasons, but to help someone in the exact same situation he was in as a child. Again, great mythology. Anyway, hope this love letter wasn't too long, and I look forward to your opinions on Clayface, the Scarecrow, Catwoman's Cat Head, and many more Golden Age goodness. Sayonara and kudos, Donovan Morgan Grant. Thanks, Donovan. I'm, I'm uh, glad people are enjoying the show, even though we're not, you know, Batman experts. That we, we seem to be getting a lot of feedback that they're enjoying it, regardless. Yeah, I think we've been to, you know, Bat College, but we just haven't... We, we forgot to graduate, so we're getting there. We're, we've enrolled again, apparently, because... Fifth-year seniors? Yeah, really. Um, as far as the 89 movie, I always thought... I think the Batman Begins uh, version did it way better as far as the, the killing of the Waynes. Um, Except for making it Bruce's fault? No, I, I like that. Um, I didn't. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, the 89 movie was all... That whole scene was all about the reveal that it was the Joker. It wasn't really about their death so much. And it was all in slow motion and, you know, very, uh, very Tim Burton-y of course, cause it was a Tim Burton movie, but yeah, it just, it, it didn't have the same impact to me as, as begins did. But, um, and as far as Robin, uh, I guess I agree with him. I guess I could also see it the other way where he wouldn't want Dick to have to suffer the same way he did. And, want to you know raise him healthy i guess but that again then again that comes off as kind of hypocritical that it's okay for him to do what he's doing but not somebody else who you know had had the same situation right and i like robin so yeah 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 but uh, there's i mean there's something to be said for solo batman stories too but Mm -hmm. you know especially in this golden and the silver age i really like the batman and robin team and 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 solo robin story solo robin stories for that right which we've been getting a lot of uh We also have three more iTunes reviews, so getting closer to that that number 12. The first one is from, I'll just call him Rob, but there's a lot of other initials and numbers after it. Um, and it says, awesome podcast, five stars, awesome. And the review reads, well, Mr. Wilson sent me to the right place, and I assume he means John Wilson. Um, I am not a big DC fan, and even less a Batman fan, but you two do a great job of bringing out the stories in each episode, you both play off each other pretty well, and hopefully we'll keep it up. Uh, five stars all the way. So that's actually pretty cool that he hates DC and Batman, but he still likes our show. That's right. That's that's kind of difficult. Um, so thanks, Rob. And the next we have is from Enigma question mark. Also says or says awesome show. Also five stars. So awesome. And it says I just wanted to say you guys do an awesome job with this podcast. That's a lot of awesomes. After listening to your show. I just can't wait to hear your next episode. I love 
to follow along reading the Batman Chronicles as you read the stories and give your thoughts on the stories. Great job, guys. P.S. Can't wait until 1948's Detective Comics number 140. The Riddler debuts, and he's my favorite Bat-villain, which, which would explain his handle. I'm looking forward to that, too, actually. I like the Riddler quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and lastly, we got another one from Haunt Cub. Another five-star review. Awesome. Um, it says, Holy Thorough Batcasts. Great show, especially for a fairly recent fan to the Batman comics. I just started reading the Chronicle series and find this to be an excellent companion. If you're a fan of Golden Age Batman and beyond, eventually, you can't miss with this podcast. The Michaels do their research. Jay. So thanks, Jay. Cool. Or Haunt Cub, whatever you prefer to go by. So that gives us a total of... One, two, three, four, Eight. five, six. Oh, six. Yes. Cool. Halfway there. Halfway there. Keep it up, guys. Thank you very much. We've also got a little bit of, um, I, I, I called it catch-up stuff. Um, I've been doing kind of some more research and reading on Batman's history and, and the formation of the character. And uh, back in episode 10, Mike ran down a long list of characters and stories that served as possible inspiration, or at least bore a striking similarity to Batman. And one of these characters was called the Black Bat, uh, who appeared in a pulp stories published in a magazine from Better Publications called Black Book Detective in July 1939. And as Mike explained there, the Bat was former district attorney Tony Quinn. Uh, and after being scarred and blinded by acid, he undergoes a secret operation, the result of which not only restores his sight, but allows him to see in the dark and heighten, heightens his other senses as well. Hmm. Quinn then dons a uh, black costume very similar to Batman's, including a scalloped cape, and proceeds to fight crime and injustice as the Black Bat. Now, Batman and the Black Bat debuted within just a couple months of one another, and while the similarities are no doubt coincidental, both national and better publications were ready to sue one another over the, you know, thinking they had copied, mm-hmm. or plagiarized, I guess is the right word. Um, But the threat of lawsuits ended when Whitney Ellsworth stepped in because it seems that Ellsworth used to work for the Black Bat's publishers. And according to one source I found, he also wrote some of the Black Bat stories under a pen name. But anyway, Ellsworth was able to smooth things over between the two companies and allowed the two characters to coexist. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, it'd be interesting to find out what would have happened if there was a lawsuit that might have derailed Batman forever could have yeah uh but the black bat and black book detective both lasted well into the 50s a long time after most other pulp magazines had died off and the character is currently being published in pulp stories in germany if you're if we have any Hmm. german fans maybe they can track those down you mean new stories yeah wow stories okay cool apparently my neighbors have started in on the fireworks now too (laughs) yeah um It seems the Black Bat did leave a lasting impression on the Batman stories as we know them, though. The Black Bat's origin, you know, being scarred and disfigured by acid, is quite similar to the origin of Two-Face that will be showing up in about two years from the stories that we're on now. And in his autobiography, Bob Kane claims that Two-Face's origin inspired the Black Bat's, but obviously that's not true since the Black Bat appeared a full three years prior to Two-Face. Yeah. So if anything, it was the other way around. But what seems to be a clearer inspiration is an element of Batman's costume. 
I found a uh, one of Brian Cronin's comics should be good column at Comic Book Resources, and he said there that the Black Bat sometimes wore gloves on on the covers, and Bill Finger recommended the cane that they add those to. Oh, I'm sorry, he wore gloves with like fins on them. Oh. Uh. And he cane or Finger recommended the cane that they add those to Batman Batman's costume as well, and pretty soon they were on there. Uh, with Detective Comics number 36. so Wow, they were just pushing their luck, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. You'd think they'd do the opposite, right? <laughs> you know? Like, well, you would think so, but yeah, yeah. but uh, maybe they thought they had help on their side since Ellsworth was editing the stories by then. I, I don't yeah, know. Or just DC was bigger or something was would win. I don't know. Yeah. But reading elsewhere in Kane's biography, or autobiography, he also says in there that uh, publisher Jack Leibowitz was initially not a fan of Robin being added to the book. Mm-hmm. He thought that Batman was selling enough and um, that that's, they shouldn't mess with it. That's the guy I was trying to think of. The a uh, few episodes, 14. yeah, mm-hmm. a few episodes back, I couldn't remember what his name was. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Kane claims that he convinced Leibowitz to try it for one issue, and then after it quote sold almost double what Batman had sold as a single feature. Leibowitz changed his mind. Hmm. And I'm not quite sure I believe that because they hyped Robin to the hilt in that first issue. I mean, they had him on the cover and they were declaring him the sensational character find of 1940. And plus the way the story ended, it would have been difficult to write him out since they pretty clearly set the two up as a team. Right. Plus in 1940, they would not have had sales numbers right away and maybe not even for several months, depending on how things went. So I think that's another case of Kane maybe stretching the truth just a wee bit. Yeah. But um, later on, staying on the topic of Robin, later on he says um, – he's talking about an unused idea for Robin's origin. And he says, we were thinking of ways Robin's parents could get killed like Batman's, and I initially made them victims of a plane crash. Uh. And then Bill thought of making them circus performers who die when they fall during their trapeze act. Bill thought that if the Graysons were murdered, this would give Robin motivation to become a crime fighter, so he came up with the idea of having a criminal put acid on the ropes holding the trapeze, explaining that he had killed them because the circus owner refused to pay blackmail. Thus, both Batman and Robin's careers were inspired by the trauma of witnessing their parents' murders and seeking to avenge them. So, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's uh, much better than a plane crash, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, the circus gave Robin... You know, agility, right? Which, which was probably handy to be right. Batman, Batman's sidekick. So, and it it also brought up an idea, a thought that I had that while Batman's parents were killed by someone trying to harm them, Dick's were killed by someone trying to harm someone else. You know, right. trying to teach Haley a lesson, and the Graysons just happened to be that the instrument that he used. And I wonder if it's ever been brought up in a book that Bruce took even more pity on Dick. Or felt that he had failed them somehow because they were killed as, you know, cannon fodder or collateral damage in a fight that they had nothing to do with. Yeah. Donovan, right in. <laughs> Let us know. Or I could just be reading way too much into it, but No, it is a little it is a little bit different, yeah. I mean, they just got they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. If really you know, that manager had just paid up the <laughs> the uh, the racketeer <laughs> money, right. Right, it would have been okay, but Oh, well, I guess if uh, Mrs. Wayne handed over her necklace, it would have been okay, too. I don't know right. how that yeah. goes, but maybe not. All right, so are we ready to move on to the 
the real meat of the issue now that we've been yep recording for 20 minutes. Um, all right, so we're covering Detective Comics number 41 this time, which had a cover date of July 1940 and was released sometime around June 4th, 1940. It had a 10-cent price and a normal 64 pages. The cover is by Bob Kane and Jerry Robinson, and it shows Robin tussling with a knife-wielding crook as the Batman leaps into the rescue. So is it just me, or does Batman and Robin look really, really bored to be on this cover? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like the uh, the crook's face, though. He looks pretty freaked out. Well, if you saw a guy dressed like a bat jumping towards you, I think you'd be a little yeah. freaked out, too. Uh, no, I'd be like, awesome! But yeah, I'm not a crook. <laughs> I think this. I mean, this is a decent cover. It's just yeah. not really one of my favorites. It's, yeah, it's all right. I mean, it's not bad. It doesn't really pop out at you, but yeah. But uh, the story inside, it was untitled at publication, but has later been called "The Masked Menace of Boys' School and a Master Murderer," and it is 12 pages long. And uh, the creative team is the usual suspects that we've seen so far. We've got Bill Finger, writer, art by Bob Kane and Jerry Robinson, and F. Whitney Ellsworth as the editor. And once again, the mighty Batman and Robin, the boy wonder, glide through perilous mazes of gripping mystery as a dreaded figure threatens their very lives. To Robin, the boy wonder, falls the task of bringing about the fall of a master criminal, a master murderer. Our story begins as a homicidal maniac escapes from an asylum. Later, at Blake's school for boys, a janitor is found strangled to death, while inside... A boy named Ted Spencer is kidnapped by a mysterious figure. News of the murder and kidnapped boy spread to the home of Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson, who decide that it's a job for Batman. So Bruce takes Dick and enrolls him in the school under the pretense that he'll be a student there. As Bruce and Dick are speaking with Blake, a teacher by the name of Mr. Greer barges in, angry that Blake fired him over failing a student. While Blake refuses to change his mind, Greer becomes even angrier and swears revenge on Blake and the school. Despite Bruce's concern, Blake blows off Greer's threat and proceeds to give he and Dick a tour of the school. They meet the art teacher, Mr. Graves, who shows off his fine engravings. They meet the history teacher, Mr. Hodges, who just acts weird and then tersely excuses himself. <laughs> and with police looking for the missing boy, Bruce instructs Robin to keep in touch on any details that they that develop and takes his leave. Dick hears from another student that the police were searching for Ted's diary. So that night, Dick, as Robin, breaks into the boy's room and finds the diary hidden among school books. He reads the last entry. Last night, I saw a masked man walking down the corridor. I wonder who the masked man is. I'm going to tell Mr. Blake, the principal, about it. But before Robin can read the rest, a masked man, garbed in a trench coat and a big hat, snatches the book from Robin's hand. Robin charges to the attack and lands a punch, but is quickly taken out as the masked figure smashes a chair over Robin's head. By the time Robin revives, the figure has made his escape. Thinking he should tell the Batman what's happening, he pulls a small wireless radio from his belt buckle and radios his ally. Robin fills in the Batman, who is standing just outside the school wall, on the events, and Batman tells him to search Principal Blake's room. Elsewhere, the masked figure stands in a large room and tosses the boy's diary into a roaring fire. The next night, Robin makes plans to break into Blake's room when he hears an agonizing scream. Rounding the corner, Robin sees the escaped inmate, knife in hand, standing over the dead body of yet another janitor. 
The maniac attacks Robin, but our boy Wonder counters with some fancy kung fu, easily dispatching the killer. The commotion causes the police to stir, and Robin quickly exits the scene. The next morning, school staff and students buzz over the news of the murder. Blake says the case is finished, but Dick says the missing boy, the diary, and the masked man on his mind. As does the mysterious history teacher, Professor Hodges. That night, Robin again attempts to investigate Blake's office. He scales the wall and slips in, only to find Blake, dead on the floor, another victim of murder. The next day, the police interrogate the former teacher, Greer. It seems the missing boy, Ted, was the boy that he had failed, and police believe he kidnapped Ted and killed Blake to get revenge over being fired. Greer maintains his innocence, but the police close the case anyway. That night, the Batman tells Robin to keep patrolling the school because he disagrees with the police's conclusion and has a hunch that something will happen. At midnight, Robin sees the masked figure, now carrying a box, emerge from Blake's room, enter into a classroom, and slip into a secret corridor. Robin trails the masked man down the tunnel, back outside into a secluded house. Inside, Ted is tied to a chair in a room with a group of thugs working to produce counterfeit money. The masked figure opens the box to reveal stacks of money, real money. It seems Blake was working with the crooks, but panicked and wanted out of the operation, so the masked man killed him and stole the real money Blake had hidden. The masked figure then takes a knife and attacks Ted, intent on killing him. But just then, Robin bursts through the door. Robin clocks the masked figure, but it's still four to one with odds against the boy Wonder. But just then, another figure decides to join the party. The mighty and totally awesome Batman. The Batman explains he saw Robin trailing the masked figure and followed. And with a round of furious fisticuffs, our, hero, our heroes easily take out the crooks. The masked figure tries to run, but Robin grabs his sling and with a mighty whirl takes out the fleeing murderer. The Batman grabs him, pulling off the killer's mask to reveal Mr. Graves, the school's art teacher. What? Batman explains Graves and Blake were partners, and when Ted told Blake about the masked figure, Blake told Graves, who then kidnapped Ted to keep him from telling anyone else. Later, back at home, Bruce congratulates Dick on a job well done and says, If you're as terrific as you are as a kid, I pity the criminals when you're a grown man. Like when you're Nightwing? Oh. <laughs> Um, we have we, we start the story here with a really great splash page again. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's as strong as the one from last issue, but again, it does it does a good job of taking your eye right down the page. Yeah, it's still got a lot of good background detail. Mm-hmm. And I like that uh, at first you don't notice the big looming shadow going across the Oh, wow. I, I didn't notice that until you at just pointed it out right now. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, then I don't feel like an idiot. I, I right. thought I would because I didn't notice it at first either. But That's pretty cool. Um, and we have another uh, uh, lunatic, uh-huh. much like uh, what was it the la- this, the last Hugo Strange story we covered, yep. where they had a bunch of lunatics that got uh, giant sized. But this is just a <laughs> a regular lunatic who I guess escaped on his own. But um, and even though he ends up being, I guess, just a red herring, uh, you know, lunatics and Batman stories go hand in hand. So it's kind of cool to see. Yeah, them, them them cropping up a little more. Lunatics and millionaires are very prevalent in these early stories. <laughs> right, right. Who the heck would live here? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I really like this uh, panel where poor little uh, Ted Spencer gets kidnapped. Uh huh. Um, I mean, it's just one out of I don't know how many panels are on this page. Uh, eight, but 
So it's not like it really, you know, stands out or anything, but it's just, uh, I don't know, it's very creepy. He's just... Well, yeah, with the the hands reaching in off panel and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't see who it is and the hands are like, the shadow of the hands are crawling up at this kid's bed and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's scary. I like it. And we have... Is is Dick the only one that reads the paper now? (laughs) Because the same thing happened last... In the last story. No, it was Detective Comics number 39. I'm sorry, two stories ago. I mean, someone was murdered and Dick read about it in the paper. Maybe that's a... Like part of his assignments or something, part of, <laughs> part, of, part of his daily homework. To he read. doesn't have to go to school, so he has to read the paper and look for yeah, yeah. look for criminals. Yeah. Yeah. yeah apparently, he hasn't he hasn't been going to school, so. Right, and it, and to be fair, it does say that Bruce read the story, but he didn't seem too all in a hurry to do anything until Dick brought it up. So that's more passive Bruce, which really annoys me even more. But it is nice that we didn't get one of those. Um, Let's wait and see what happens scenes, and then you know five, <laughs> five more kids get kidnapped or killed, and then he does something. I well, mean, yeah, Bruce is all go get him when it's sending someone else into danger. That's true. But when it's his own cow on the line, it's oh, let's just wait for something to happen. He's just very busy, you know. He's, <laughs> he's got a, there's, it's a big city. He's a wastrel playboy, yeah, yeah. No, I mean that. I mean, you know, how many kidnappings happen in the city at a, <laughs> every hour? You know, just, just one per issue, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But I, I was amused that Dick is reading the New York World, which, first of all, is another reference to Batman in New York. Mm-hmm. But at this point, the New York World hadn't been published for nearly a decade. Oh, so this is an out-of-print yeah. uh, newspaper title? How funny. Uh, yeah, the New York World was founded in 1860 and was relatively unsuccessful until it was purchased in 1883 by Joseph Pulitzer of Pulitzer Prize fame. And over the next three decades, the world engaged in some pretty fierce circulation battles with William Randolph Hearst's New York Journal. And the two papers had all this sensationalistic stories and you know these advertising schemes. They originated what became known as yellow journalism, you know, with uh, misleading headlines and faked interviews and mm. emphasis on scandals. Just like today, huh? Yeah, just like today, yeah. <laughs> and Pulitzer died in 1911. And the paper was taken over by his son, who eventually sold it to uh, Scripps Howard in 1930. And then Scripps Howard pretty much immediately laid off the entire staff and shut the paper – well, didn't shut it down, but merged it with uh, his afternoon paper, the Evening Telegram, to form the New York World Telegram. Hmm. So – and none of that explains why they're referencing a paper that hasn't been published for 10 years, but – Well, maybe uh, Kane or Robinson or – or finger, you know, used to read it, and it, it's really, really tiny print. Like I didn't even notice um, that it said that. So maybe they were just filling in anything that they, yeah, they they're could. like, hey, I remember that paper when I was a kid or something. Yeah. Just a little nudge, nudge, wink, wink moment. Um, so how many papers is this then that we've seen? Um, quite a few. I've actually got, I put a thing in my show notes for next episode. I was going to okay. talk about that because okay. it came up when I was reading that story. So. Okay. Stay tuned. Yeah, and do we know? And maybe this is going to be in next episode too. But do we know like what the actual paper was, the big paper was for New York at this time? Or I will uh, look into that. Okay, cool. Um, I'm just curious if they actually use a real paper name every now and again or not. Um, but this panel after the the whole newspaper reading thing, I, I don't know if it's on purpose or not. But I I love uh, Bruce Wayne's face when he's telling Dick that he's going to be going to school now. Um, yeah. He just, he just looks like. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like, haha, mean and happy about it. It's funny. 
So, Dick Grayson is uh, Bruce Wayne's ward now. Yes, when he en- enrolls him in school, he he uh, takes on that mantle, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I was curious if, because it's very relevant to this story. Yeah. You know, he's he's enrolling him into school, so you have to answer who you are. You know, he can't just be some <laughs> some random guy bringing in a kid, right? So I was wondering if little boy on the street. Yeah. I was wondering if they, uh, well, one, it probably came up because of this story. I, I don't think they they thought about it before the story because they hadn't addressed it. Right. Um, but I was wondering if they were just considering it a a, a one time title just for this story, just because they're like being undercover or something, or if uh, they actually intended to set that up as their new relationship from the beginning. Well, a ward. I mean, if someone's your ward, that just means you're their guardian. So. Right. Right. But that's just such a uh, Batman staple. Say, yeah. You know, Bruce Wayne. Faithful Ward, Dick Grayson. Yeah. Right, right. Exactly. So it just seems so uh, specific to this story. I was wondering if they were, if they had considered using mm-hmm. that idea afterwards or not. But Well, I guess we can kind of keep an eye on it. I don't know if they'll continue to use that. You know, they, they love the, uh, the nicknames and the descriptions in these Batman stories. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see if they continue calling him his ward in future stories or if that doesn't get picked up again for a while. Yeah. Uh, so once again, Bruce arrives on the scene just in time to see every possible murderer, <laughs> murderer candidate who there could possibly be in this building yeah. come along and introduce themselves or or make a show of their frustration in front of him. Yeah. Um, he's really good at attracting <laughs> these scenarios lately. Yeah. Um, I mean, I realize it's just a way to to line up the suspects, mm-hmm. and, it, and it we're only with only twelve pages. I shouldn't expect intricate plots, but this is the third issue in a row where Fingers used that same basic story structure, so mm-hmm. it's kind of getting a little bit worn at this point. Yes, repetitive. Same same story, different scenery. Yeah, but when Robin goes to, or Dick goes to investigate, I'm not sure why he changed to Robin first, because wasn't the point of enrolling him at the school so that he could <laughs> investigate easier? Yeah, <laughs> you, you would think that would be a little more incognito to not walk around in yeah yeah in your yellow cape but and, you know when he's caught which you know he was so yeah but you know it's a everybody wants to see robin they don't want to see <laughs> even though lately he has been fighting as dick grayson so right they, they could have done that again but anyway um i can see why the police desperately need batman in the city though if they can't find a a a diary amongst a stack of books that are just sitting on top of a desk but yeah yeah that was funny. Well, it said it was covered like the other school books. I kind of took that to mean maybe there was like a false cover on it. Oh. That, that or, said math or something, you know. I thought it meant like, uh, you know, like when you were a kid and you had to brown brown bag all your books to protect them? Or did you guys do that? Oh, we didn't have to do that, no. Uh-uh. Oh, yeah. We used to have to, like, cover all our school books in, in paper bag. Oh. That's I don't know. That's that's what we called covering our books. So I don't know if that's what they meant or not. But well, it could be. Yeah, we didn't. I, I'm not familiar with that term, so it hmm. could be. Must be a, a California thing. <laughs> all this all this all this bright sun destroys all our books when we take them outside. Um, yeah. Uh, but it's interesting that uh, I kind of got a little confused. Robin encounters the masked man. Right. And he says, "The masked man." So right. then I started flipping back, going, "Did it ever call him the masked man?" before that moment or i mean he sa- he says it like he knows this guy's name is the masked man you know two panels earlier oh did it when when he's when robin is reading the diary 
he reads an entry that says, "Last night I saw a masked man walking down." The oh, road. see. I wonder who the masked man is. You know, my problem was is I was I was turning back pages to find a <laughs> okay. instead of just and just instead of just looking up one panel. Yeah. Right. Oh well, that makes more sense then. You're like me and went through Robin Origin, where you totally missed the panel where Bruce is in the audience, so <laughs> right. you don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, it was confusing me. It's like, why does he say the masked man instead of like you know a masked man or <laughs> something? Masked, yeah. Robin looks really tiny in these uh, in this scene though, especially that last panel. I mean, there's no way I buy that he's a teenager at this point. No, and we've, we've talked about his age before, but. His uh his sizes don't really seem consistent either. <laughs> no. From story to story, like the one that no. world that world fair one, he looks like you know he can uh, bench. Yeah, he could have passed for thirteen there, I think. He could have bench pressed three hundred pounds. He had like a wider, <laughs> you know, wider chest than Batman did on that one. Barrel chested, yeah. Sometimes his head looks ridiculously huge compared to his body, and I think they just have trouble drawing kids or something. It could be, yeah. But yeah, he's never looked like a teenager so far to me, but. I don't think he's meant to be. I think that's a retcon later to, you know, get parents off their backs, maybe. Could be. Or something. When the comics code, I guess, maybe comes in, maybe. That, or maybe even just more modern stories. It makes it would make no sense to have an eight-year-old helping you, but a 16-year-old, you could, you know, argue, I guess. Right. But his uh, staying on the development of Robin, his did you notice his boots are a little shorter this issue? Oh yeah. They're like high tops now. They don't come. They come a little above his ankle, but that's about it. So getting closer to the slippers. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I do a Captain America show, in addition to this show, and Captain America, the Golden Age stuff that we're covering, I think is a year away from this stuff. But I just find it really weird that you and I covered the Clayface story last episode, where right. it's set in a castle, and then the Captain America story I just covered this week has him fighting some guy in a castle. And then in, and then in that same comic, the Red Skull takes out Bucky by slamming a chair over his head. Oh. And then I read this story, and the bad guy is slamming a chair over Robin's head. So I'm not saying they're copying each other or anything, but it's just really weird how, how all this stuff is happening at the same time for me. If he starts fighting a villain with a big macabre grin, you'll know something's up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The jester. <laughs> the jester, yeah. Um, but it seems Robin has inherited Batman's self-deprecating humor. Yeah. He says, after he gets knocked out and the masked man leaves, he says, yeah, 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 yeah. wow, maybe I should have a heeded that guy's warning after all. He sure meant it. <laughs> that was funny. That was funny. So, new technology. Uh-huh. They have a, I guess, it says wireless, right? Yeah. Yeah, wireless. So they got they got their own, like, uh Although version. it has wires. It, it does have wires for... But- Microphones, I guess, but oh, okay, I see. Yeah, is that what it is? I don't know. What, I don't know exactly what's going on there, but oh no, they're earplugs. So if you look at the next oh. page, he's got them plugged into his ears. So that makes sense, right? But yeah, this is like their own version of the cell phone, only it's coming out of their belt instead of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's pretty cool that Robin gets the fancier of the two gadgets. I think. Oh God, Batman's looks really dumb. <laughs> my opinion i like robin's looks really cool it's like just out of his belt buckle it's got all this wire yeah stuff on it but batman's looks like he's got a, a camera with a really obnoxious flash pointing at his stomach <laughs> and he's and he's just you know he's like talking into his crotch yeah right right it's it's kind of funny <laughs> I, i'm just trying to figure out why they both wouldn't have the you know the same looking gadget but i don't know because for batman's he would have to that's not his belt buckle nope so he would have to attach that somehow mm-hmm. 
which makes you wonder why he isn't just holding it at, at his face instead <laughs> yeah. of talking into his crotch. Because it, it's not as cool. It's like that kid from the Goonies. <laughs> all no of, hands. All his yeah. stuff was in his belt. Yeah. Um, um, how long was Batman standing outside of the uh, the home here? Yeah. I guess all it's night. Weird. Yeah, because it's been several hours since he left Dick at the home. So it's kind of weird that he would just hang around outside in the Batman costume. And, and that's another reason why it might have been cooler if Robin was just not being Robin at this point. Because right. the reason Batman's not there is he says it would be awfully conspicuous of me to be walking around. <laughs> but then there's Robin walking around. So right. that's just as conspicuous. He might as well he might as well have opened a window and let Batman in, you know. Right. They could walk around together. I'm looking here at the Wikipedia page for walkie-talkies, and it mm-hmm. it says that um, the backpacked Motorola SCR300 was created by an engineering team in 1940, and they've got a picture of it, and it shows like a uh, one guy with like this big giant backpack on, and then a second guy standing behind him with like a telephone receiver, and then there's a wire going to the backpack. Oh, so the so the belt buckle's way more advanced than that. Oh yeah, I mean it. From from the sound of it, even that was very new technology when this was published, and the, a true wireless setup like they've got here in the story didn't come until quite a bit later. So cool. Once again, he's this in the uh, infrared goggles. Batman is very advanced. Mm-hmm. And that poor inmate never had a chance, did he? No. <laughs> um, he just runs at Robin, and Robin does this funky, funky, uh, funky kung fu move, and just flips him right over. Yeah. I like the flip. I think uh, I'm not sure we've seen that before from from these artists. Uh, something that actually it seems like like uh, you could actually fill in the details in between the panels there. Uh, right. He grabs his arm, and in the next panel, he's rolling him over his shoulder, kind of mm-hmm. like uh, maybe they got a judo book or something, and they were they were looking it at it. Could be, yeah, and they were just drawing out of that. Yeah. We've seen that last pose before, though, where where oh, Rob, yeah. Robin is straddling the lunatic and punching him in the face. Yeah, that's one of Kane's favorites. Mm-hmm. But he stopped using the swinging pose in the last several stories. Yeah. It's a couple issues before Robin debuted even, so. Actually, that's – we haven't seen that, yeah, in a while. And you would – I'm kind of impressed because you would think with Robin being, you know, the guy who swings around all the time that uh-huh. he'd be tempted to. But, yeah, maybe maybe Robinson was like, all right, enough, enough. <laughs> On page eight, is the guy in the green jacket in panel one – Supposed to be the same guy that's in panel three. Yeah, I yes. Then his dialogue doesn't make sense. It's he says, they say the maniac thought the uniform janitors were. Wait, no, he doesn't. He says, what does he say? It's hard to tell. He says, then the, I imagine the, the police will be called off the grounds now. Right. And then his next thing is, so the chase is finished, is it, Mister Blake? You have forgotten about the missing Ted Spencer. You have less brains than I thought you had, or have you? It doesn't make any sense to me. Because he's talking like, okay, well, things are done now. You know, the police will go away. And then in the next panel, he's talking like they're not finished. So I was just um, wondering, if it meant to, was it meant to be the same guy, or? I think maybe he's saying it with, sar- or, you know, bitterness, like, because they're all talking about how the, what the police think. And then he said, so I imagine the police will be called off the grounds then, huh? And the guy's like, yeah, the case is finished. He says, oh, really? Well, what about the kid, you idiot? You know? <laughs> okay. All right. That, I can that kind of it works. that way. Yeah. That's, that's one of those uh, bits of dialogue that doesn't really work when you can't hear the yeah, yeah. You know, intonation of the... Right. Um, 
Love this uh, this panel of Robin. Uh, what is he scaling? Scaling a house. The wall of the school. Oh, the wall of the school, right? With mm-hmm. the with the moon in the background and his cape right. all flowing out. That's really cool. It reminded, kind of made me remember the you know the scaling the wall scenes that, from the Adam West series because before now most of Batman's wall climbing has just shown him hanging from a rope. So it kind of reminded me of like uh, you know back in the day, like all of a. Uh, three months ago or whatever when we were covering Batman's original original stories there were a lot of panels like that where he's traveling and right climbing up things and stuff so now we see Robin doing it like hero like sidekick yep so uh these police are are pretty hardcore huh yeah (laughs) (laughs) they've got him under the spotlight and they're screaming at him and yeah we know you're guilty yeah maybe miss NYPD blue (laughs) yeah uh, but I like this. Uh, they they pause in the middle of the story, or kind of just shove it in there, I guess. Really, and it's like this little panel that talks to the reader and asks us who we think is the killer at this point, and it kind of gives you a recap of all the suspects and a little right. summary of them underneath. And I actually really appreciated that because sometimes with these stories, I feel like I I have to like get out a piece of paper and write down all these guys' <laughs> name, names and who they are because I I can't remember like. Oh, this, this guy. Sto- this guy was the teacher again. Oh, yeah, and this guy got fired. And this story seemed particularly difficult, like that, because I, I guess because we were just introduced to them all real fast at the beginning, mm-hmm. and they were all guys, all teachers, and they all looked different, but still, some of them look kind of the same, like well, Greer, yeah. Greer and uh, Blake and Hodges. Hodges, Hodges yeah. all are fairly the same. The only two that stick out is that is the Graves, who has white hair, and obviously the lunatic. <laughs> looks like a lunatic he was the easiest one to remember yeah but uh, yeah i like it too with reader participation i kind of like that in these old books mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so uh, the masked man was gonna end up killing poor little teddy mm-hmm. after all so i guess it was good that he just held on to him until robin showed up at least right this panel here where uh the masked man enters the the room where they're printing the counterfeit money that reminds me very much of the cover to detective comics number 24 because on that cover, you see a kid tied up in a room by a window with thugs around him making counterfeit money. And the kid even looks a lot like the kid on that cover. Number 24? Number 24, yeah. There was there were Detective Comics before number 27? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> they weren't very good, but yeah, there were. I'm, yeah, I'm just kidding. I never looked at them, though, except for, mm-hmm. I think, number one. Oh, uh, yeah. The Fu Manchu face. Well, I'll put a link to it in the show notes so you can see that cover. Cause it, it, I mean, even the kid, he's got the same hair, the same shirt, everything. It's kind of weird. Yeah. And once again, I mean, I've, I've said it, I think, in previous episodes, but I just really like, now that Bat, now that Robin's in these stories, I just really like when uh, Batman shows up because it just makes the, yeah. it just makes it all that much cooler. Because, I mean, yeah. Robin was doing okay. I mean, it's not like anybody had knocked him down or anything like that, but... Uh, you feel a lot better once a grown-up shows up and, <laughs> and, right. and starts giving him some, some real muscle. This is a really fun sequence. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you've got um, Batman. I don't like the I don't like these boys, Robin. What do you say we What do you say to roughing them up a bit? And Robin's like, "Come on, let's take them." Yeah, it's, it's very lighthearted and fun, but not campy. So. And, I, and I, I like that panel, especially where he's punching what is it, at least two guys, and knocking the table over, uh-huh. and, he, and he's got yeah. the third guy in his. I think he, I think he's choking him, or maybe he's just punching him in the neck, um, and his cape's all flo- you know, he's flowing. Got him the oh, that's what he's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very cool. And then Robin busts out a sling again, which I think we both agreed we like. 
Yes, that's on page 12 you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good panel. His arm looks a little weird, but um, but yeah, it's a great panel of Robin. Yeah, that that's that's going to be a, a Facebook uh, <laughs> profile picture for me. That's pretty cool. So then at the end, we get the, the usual, as of late, Scooby-Doo ending where they unmask the killer and uh, then Batman proceeds to tell Robin why he knew all along or, you know, right. can understand why this guy's the killer. But in this particular case, I kind of hope that he didn't, I don't, he doesn't necessarily say that he knew it was Graves all along. He just knows now that it's been revealed that it's Graves, he could figure out why, like, cause he's an engraver and there's counterfeit money involved. Um, I'm hoping he didn't know it was Graves all along because if he did, then he maybe should have said, Hey Robin, go follow Graves instead of right. Robin. I kind of, I kind of thought that he picked up on it kind of right at the last minute because, uh, Robin says, I don't understand, and then Batman says, I think I do. You remember Graves here as a master engraver. Right, right, right. And goes on to explain the whole thing for three panels. So Yeah, so Daphne and Fred conversation. Right. But the ending to this story feels a little bit more natural than what we've seen. Yes. I, I really like that end panel with mm-hmm. uh, Bruce congratulating Dick and saying that he'll be an even bigger threat when he's older. Yeah. Which is interesting because at this time, and even for the next you know, two and a half, three decades, they probably had no intention of ever letting him grow up. Right. So, but that instantly makes you think of Nightwing and that's yeah. cool. That's very cool. Um, so yeah, overall, I mean, it wasn't a bad story, but you know, between let's see the cat and Batman number one and Clayface and detective 40, this kind of seemed like the same story only you know, at a school instead of a castle or a boat. Right. I, I like this one better than the Clayface story. I mean, we yeah. saw Robin, Robin, Robin gathering clues and trailing suspects, and readers actually had a chance of figuring out the, the who and the who done it. So, did you predict the who on this one? No. No. See, I didn't either. So that that was actually a first. But all the clues were there if you go back and look. Uh-huh. Yeah. They talk right. about him being an, an engraver, which seems kind of random when they mentioned it at first, but it was a clue. Jinkies. Yeah, because like it, on the Clayface one, it was like, well, first of all, we we kind of knew his name anyway, I think. But well, yeah. even even if we didn't, it's like he's the only one who comes in. Hi, I'm the nicest guy in the world, and then right. all the others were, and we're evil incarnate. And then yeah. of course he's going to be the guy. So um, I'm pretty sure there was a cutscene though from the story where that revealed that Blake's school for boys was soon forced to close after three teachers were fired, killed, or convicted <laughs> of felonies, and two janitors were killed by an escaped inmate, and a student was kidnapped and held hostage for four days, <laughs> thus guaranteeing no parent in his or her right mind would ever want to send their kid there again. Yeah, are you kidding? That's just that's just a Tuesday around here. <laughs> I liked what we saw Robin getting his own case here. Mm-hmm. Because really, this is more of a Robin story than a Batman story. This was Batman, like the cat. Yeah. Batman comes in at the end for the save, but Robin didn't necessarily need saving. Yeah. And he, really, Batman was just there to explain things to Robin because he's kind of dense. But, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, even the cat story, Robin, Batman came in much earlier than that than this story. Mm-hmm. So this was very all Robin. It didn't. Maybe it's because we had less Batman in the story, but it didn't seem like they were taking as many shortcuts either with the art. As far as the shadows and the silhouettes and the, right. the bat back. Mm-hmm. They, they only threw in one this time. Right. One and a half. One and a half, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. they have to actually render Robin. They were probably thinking, dang, we should have done gray <laughs> and blue. Should have given him a big black cape too, yeah. Why did we pick yellow? <laughs> if you are interested in reading this story, it's been reprinted three times 
first in Batman from the 30s to the 70s, and then in the Batman Archives Volume 1 and Batman Chronicles Volume 2. How do you kill a man without fear? Hi everyone, I'm Johnny Freiburg. I'm Tyler Crow. And we are from Yellow to Red, a Daredevil podcast, and we are here to bring you a comprehensive view of Marvel's Man Without Fear. Without that pansy, Black Panther. As we cover every issue of Daredevil from the beginning. Starting with the 1960 series with... Tyler, why are you talking like that? Because we're a dark and gritty podcast. But Daredevil is actually a pretty lighthearted book in the beginning. I mean, it was? Yeah, so join along for all the fun and adventures of Silver Age Daredevil. With irony and Karen Page galore. At From Yellow to Red, a Daredevil podcast. Sawate. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Bad Girl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Batgirl to Oracle is a podcast and site dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the Batgirl mantle for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1985. The goal of BTO is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Batgirl and continue on through her current tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at vintage issues of Detective Comics and Batman and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I examine Barbara Gordon's appearances in the media, such as TV, film, etc. I've been blessed to be able to interview writer Brian Q. Miller, and I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Please visit us online at batgirltooracle.net and look for us on iTunes. Thank you. Okay, and elsewhere in this particular issue, the next page is a cool, like, double ad. It's split down there, or split horizontally, and the top has, it says, here it is, and it shows a cover to Batman number one, and it says, the first complete book, chock full of brand new adventures of the thrilling character, the Batman, all new material, on sale now. And underneath that it says, attention, calling all Superman fans, another issue, of brand new Superman adventures, never before published, on sale now, and it shows Superman number five. Cool. With, Superman should have been on top, though. With Superman, uh, well, this is Batman's book. Okay, fair enough. Superman's pulling a uh, uh, jail bar window out of a brick wall and freeing people, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we have our usual suspects, I think. Uh, we got Bart Regan Spy. Uh, no title, but it was six pages by Jerry Siegel and Maurice Kashuba. We have six pages of Red Logan called Bugsy Gorin by Ed Winiarski, who I think is a new name for us. Um, six pages of The Crimson Avenger by Jack Letty called Wanted for Murderer. Six pages of Speed Saunders, Ace, Invenega- Ace, Invenegator, Ace Investigator by Gardner Fox and Fred Gardiner called The Railroad Mystery. A two-page text piece by Gardner Fox called Theft at the Fair. Then we have six pages of Steve Malone, District Attorney, by Bob Lynch. Lynch, Don Lynch called The Ink and Murder. Bob Lynch is a guy who sells cars around here. Anyway, 
Then we have six pages of Cliff Crosby by Chad Grothkoff, also entitled. And lastly, we have eight pages of Slam Bradley by Jerry Siegel and Howard Sherman called The Heiress. And it doesn't have a cool opener. And I also was trying to figure out the page count, and I and I ran out of fingers to count on. But um, I think last episode, Slam got knocked down to eight pages, but Red Logan had eight also. Whereas in this issue, he only has six, but Slam continues to have eight. And I can't find anybody who got a page increase, so I'm not sure what's going on there. Probably more ads. Probably more ads, yeah. So everybody's dwindling away, but nobody's... Nobody's gaining from it, so oh well. I noticed when you were going through there, six pages, six pages, six, and usually they're a little more varied, but yeah. Well, Slam has cons- had consistently had ten pages, and then mm. now he's down to eight. Right. So elsewhere, other books out in June 1940. It was kind of a slow month from DC. There was Adventure Comics number 52. Uh, there was Flash Comics number eight, which got a new. Uh, redesign of the cover logo to make it look more like that of action and detective comics. Hmm. There was All-American Comics number 17 and Action Comics number 27 with a really awesome Paul Cassidy cover of Superman fighting a lion that's about to maul a woman who is presumably Lois Lane. Unfortunately, nothing like that happens in the Superman story inside the book, but... Oh, I was just going to ask you if he killed that, if he killed that poor <laughs> lion. Superman hates animals, so probably. Yeah, really. Just snap its neck. <laughs> uh, no issue of more fun comics this month because there were two last month. Outside of DC, we had just two books from Timely slash Marvel. And one of those was Daring Mystery Comics number six. And I had a note that that was the first appearance of Marvel Boy. But I was doing some uh, researching before we started recording. And apparently, this Marvel Boy only made two appearances. So I must be thinking of a different character. I'm not... There was a 50s Marvel Boy also. Okay. Was he a little more... A little bit, yeah. A little famous? Okay. But in the newspapers, we had uh, the very first spirit section, which first appeared in the newspapers June 2nd, 1940. Mm. So that was probably the biggest comics-related happening of the month. Besides Detective Comics number 41. Eh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that wraps up... Uh... June of 1940. Uh, if you want to check out this or any of our other shows, you can do that at Legends of the Batman website, batmanlegends.com. There you will find a link to our RSS feed and a link to our Facebook and Twitter pages, which you can use to keep track of all our latest updates. Uh, also on the website, there is a link to our iTunes page, which you can use to subscribe to the show automatically. And while you're doing that and waiting for iTunes to download the next episode, you can be nice and uh, write a review. We are up to six, like we already said earlier this show, So, and we're shooting for 12, so we're halfway there. Keep it up, people. You can find my co-host here, Mike, on his other show, The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, which is a podcast that still stands for Truth, Justice, and the American Way. Is that how that goes now? Mm-hmm. Awesome. And you can find that at greatcrypton.com. And my other show I do with John Wilson, called The Mighty Shield, a Captain America podcast, where we currently talk about Silver Age and Golden Age Cap, and you can find that at themightyshield.com. Also, please be sure to visit our new partners, Gotham Knights Online, which is a great source for all the latest news on 
everything Batman, and they have their own podcast about the latest news, and they have a forum and all that fun stuff. And you can find that at GothamKnightsOnline.com. Next week, we will be covering July of 1940, and uh, we'll have two books again, so have to work doubly hard. We got Detective Comics number 42 and Batman number 2. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. See ya. Batman created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and copyright DC Comics.